Hello, Punk Theology listeners. This is episode number 21, doing something a little different today. You're listening to the Punk Theology Podcast. This would be season three. I, your host, Russ Shaw, am being interviewed by a past guest, Reverend Wendy Wolf. Wendy is a counselor, a teacher. She works with people who have suffered from trauma, addiction, depression, anxiety. She runs a group on Facebook called Everyday Modern Mystic Playground with over 1,200 members. It is an honor to be uh, interviewed by her. And this was recorded a few weeks ago, and I wanted to... Hold on. Stop. We did a few Chaz uh, chop updates on a few shows because, you know, Seattle is just down the road from us here. Uh, We had hope, right, as a group of guys who believes in healthy anarchy as a way to break the quagmire of groupthink, as a way to hopefully get past the need for public defenders Angry men with handguns, uh, bats, batons, handcuffs, jail cells. And this whole social experiment that was happening um, in the autonomous zone, so to speak. Yeah, we were kind of rooting for it. And at first, it started out as a kind of a carnival-like atmosphere, Um, people policing themselves, the news, especially in the early days, blowing it out of proportion. But as it gained momentum during the night, early morning, things got worse. And now there's been uh, two very young black men have been killed. The latest was over the weekend, and there's a 16-year-old dead, a 14-year-old who's on life support as we speak. Last week, Lorenzo Anderson Jr., 19, was killed. A peaceful young man who just wanted to be loved, his father said. So in our city, you had, you know, hopeful young men wanting to be a part of some change mixed with, sadly, over time, um, you know, it became a safe haven for thugs Um, homeless, hard drug users, and violent people who just wanted to loot and do harm. Protests that started because of the thuggery of enforcing certain laws and taking the life of George Floyd has resulted in, just here in Seattle in the chop zone, two precious, very young black lives being taken and I've touched on we we touched on that like yeah there's been shootings in that area before but this has been a lot yeah I'm a firm believer in Black Lives Matter Chop the protest itself has become of no real practical value at this point and while I was rooting for the idea of an autonomous zone um, maybe you know human nature At this point in time, at this level of consciousness in our human history, um, is proving otherwise. You know, I guess we still need people with guns and bats or rubber bullets or tasers or whatnot to to keep peace. Unfortunately, I don't want to believe that that's true, but it 
you know. And I'm personally, I'm glad the mayor has finally done something, the chief of police, and they're, you know, taking back Capitol Hill for the sake of, you know, a, a society based on laws. It's just how are those laws going to be enforced moving forward? Because something is obviously broken. Um, but yeah, CHOP, as of today, July 1st, 2020, done. You can learn more about what P.T. is at punktheology.net. Now on with Ralph Shaw's interview by Wendy Wolf of Everyday Modern Mystics. More about Wendy's work at modernmystic.us and lightovercomesdarkness.com. You see me yet? There we yeah, are. There you are. Hey. Oh, look, your head shaved. Yeah. Really good. Pattern bald. Yeah. Really it's very attractive. You getting good reviews? So far, no complaints. It's a lot easier than getting a haircut. How you been? So you're in North Carolina now? <laughs> yeah. Just never know what might happen. Yeah. What What happened? What What's up with the move? Like you're in the third buckle of the bible belt now i know it's weird but um we're in this little progressive outpost the triangle where there's okay. a bunch of universities and um you know corporations and uh it's very multicultural and yeah it's it's very comfortable in our little place we were supposed to go to australia but there were, we we're supposed to go to work in australia but there was a, a technical issue with our visa and we'd already went out of uh seattle and we kept following our nose, and here we are. Nice. Yeah. All right. So it's beautiful. There's a lot of gorgeous trees. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, progressive. It's funny you bring that up. I've been, uh, I've been accused of being a progressive now, a Christian progressive. I don't know. I don't necessarily like the labels. That's sort of the punk rocker in me, you know? Like, don't, uh-huh. don't label me. Don't diminish right. me. Right. Don't call me a, a progressive. What What is that anyway, right? In I, your get box. It, I get the label. I'm honored by it, I think. Um, not, not trying to keep people in these tight little, we're trying to label people and keep them. Like, I want to know what you are. Um, progressive, hopefully, if we could get into the language of that word, means, you know, maybe we can start to care about each other a little more than do you know that's the new anarchy is actually listening to your ideological opponent and maybe you know hey let's see where we are alike and maybe where we can get on the same page i'm really interested in stuff like that yeah you know big time so progressive i'll take it all right (laughs) whatever yeah you know i was out on my porch last night and i heard somebody listening to npr you know and Um, it's really in safe. North Carolina. And, wow. Right. I mean, like it's, yeah, it's like a little Seattle yeah. right where we are. And then outside, like outside of Durham, we ran, you know, went to go hiking and we ran into this ginormous Confederate flag. I mean, and I was just like, it was the first time like in the wild, you know, I'd seen it on cars and stuff, but like, it was scary. It was scary. Yeah, you don't see that around Seattle unless you get out, you know, out to the outskirts, get out towards Granite Falls or 
north of Marysville, you know, mm -hmm. those kind of areas down south, Buckley, Sumner around here. But yeah, the city is interesting. It's an interesting time. man. Yeah. What's yeah. what's your take there? It's been tumultuous. I, I heard for all of, you know, black folks. And, you know, unarmed black person after unarmed black person is shot and nothing happens. And we wonder why there's looting and riots and, and breaking stuff, you know? Yeah. And yeah. So, like the mayor in our city, like she's, just, you know, you can protest, but just behave yourselves. Well, it's like, what? You know, like I, I would never go out and bash a window or do something like that. That's just not in me anymore. Yeah. Younger version of me. Anymore. <laughs> but... <laughs> me now like I see that and go yeah you know there's a better way of doing this um but I get it man I get it don't tell me to behave myself when you have done fucking nothing yeah, yeah. is it being afraid of the police I'm afraid of the police like, I'll, I I'll be honest I, I'm less afraid of the police now because I'm a white guy with a shaved head like I look like I was in the military <laughs> and I get that a lot <laughs> it's funny where did you serve I served on the mean streets of Seattle, you know, <laughs> selling eights of weed. That's my... <laughs> That's my contribution. That's my contribution. So yeah. can you talk Can you talk a little bit about when you were more, um, what, violent? When you were, you felt like it was appropriate? Because that yeah. might help. I, I, don't, I don't quite understand that. Yeah. So. Um, that's kind of the interesting thing too about male angst. I don't think a lot has changed um, socially, uh, but growing up poor for one thing, you know, my parents were divorced and my mom, when my mom and dad split, I was a product of a second marriage too, by the way. So they, you know, in their twenties. So they married, they married in their mid twenties on their second marriage. And I was proud of that. So, uh, that was interesting. And then we, they split up in, when I was seven, um, my dad married my stepmom right away. Um, she wasn't the safest person to be around. So I, as much as I love my dad, I didn't want to be around her. So I would avoid the weekend visits as much as I could. Um, my mom, we moved into a trailer park, and my mom worked a lot. So even back then, it was really difficult to live in the city and work in the city. Yeah. So, you know, living in a trailer park in Snohomish, she would drive her car to the bus barn thing, you know, and so she, and they didn't have like parking lots like they do now. Like she'd just try and find a place to park on the street somewhere, walk to the thing and take a bus into the city and then come back, you know, eight hours later. So I was a latchkey kid and and it was, it was rough, you know, being in that environment, a lot of poor kids, a lot of kids whose parents, a lot of other latchkey kids. Um, sexual abuse is part of my past, uh, growing up in, in some of that environment. And that, that was a big part of my Christian upbringing, too, was, was something that affected that because it was almost a different layer of being taught that you're bad and you're dirty. Like you got an erection, so you must have liked it, you know, right. uh, we don't, we don't want to talk about this. And he didn't, you know, the sick, brilliant part of this motherfucker was that he said, um, he didn't threaten to kill my puppy or my parents or something like that. He said, you know, if they find out about this, they're going to know what a dirty boy you are. 
you think they'll love you if they know that you enjoyed this, that you're, you know, Mm-hmm. So so yeah, man. That and I, I I I can talk about it now without breaking down in tears. You know, even five. Yeah, I'm getting a little bit emotional, but I'm okay. Um, but mm-hmm. it took a long time to be even able to tell you that sentence right there. Like I just yeah. trying to make sense of who I was at the time. Like why the fuck am I so angry like all the time? Yeah. Back when I was a kid, and some of it had to do with that. And then being dragged to church and hearing you know, a lot of sermons by well-meaning pastors and, and clergy people who would say, you know, kind of the same thing. Well, God loves the good and good little boys, right? Like, you know, hey, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and then he gave you the ball, and now you got to go run for holiness and obedience right. and these kinds right. of things. And I just couldn't, you know, there's a there's a song, uh, I couldn't go a week without doing wrong. <laughs> What's that song? <laughs> Have you heard that song? Uh, no, it's awesome. Yeah, the band from Austin, Texas, the Devil Makes Three. Yeah, they have a song called oh, wow. Old Number Seven. <laughs> Couldn't go a week without doing wrong. I so identify with that line from that lyric from that song because that was my that was my upbringing. You know, as much as I tried, and I'm pretty I'm a pretty transparent guy. Like I tend to wear my emotions on my sleeve a lot, and and if I I couldn't fake it very well. I mean, I did a pretty good job at being a Christian kind of, I became a Christian kind of conservative later in life. And then I thought that would make me less angry. <laughs> no, no, just, it just turned into a different thing. I was a morality guy. Right? I'm all moral sitting over here and telling the rest of the world what they should do. Yes. Uh, you know, you know, I'm on mind watching pornography addiction grow darker and darker. Right. Um, but nobody sees it, so it's okay. Yeah, that's where I, <laughs> that's like Christian conservative anger. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, as a kid, I got in fights. Um, being a violent kid, uh, just being in a parking lot, man. There's some guy was messing with my girlfriend, and I'm like, well, we're gonna go over to his house and kick his ass. So on the way to his house to kick his ass, we run across another car load of unruly teens we end up in the everett mall parking lot and a guy everybody gets out of the car these guys open the trunk and grab tire irons and all this stuff and my buddy kent he goes back to the trunk of his car and he didn't have a key (laughs) so we're standing there and i'm just angry and half drunk and this big guy you know twice my size is like so who are you? I go, I'm Russ, you know, who the fuck are you? And I push him like that. And he goes, he goes, sounds like a pussy name to me. And then I push him again mm. and he hit me right here and broke, just completely broke my jaw. Oh now, my I'm God. not sure if he had a, something in his hand, if he hit me with a crowbar, what the hell? He right. That put me in the hospital. Um, and I still have, like, I can't feel this part of my face still I was, I was i was like 17 when this happened you know and i still yeah. it's dead right here my wife every so often she'll go rest you know and i'll have like a drool coming down <laughs> well i got that to look forward to in the nursing home later right I'll be it's only gonna get worse that off every so often. um but yeah i i've gotten fights you know the first few fights i got in I won, you know, and I didn't even necessarily need to win. I was just like, you know, that kind of monkey brain sort of evolutionary get up in the guy's face. And that was enough. And even if I did get hit a lot of times, Wendy, it didn't hurt that bad, (laughs) you know? So I thought to myself, Hey, you know, 
I'm pretty good at this intimidation thing until that day happened. And then I learned, oh, yeah, man. You can just, right. So you need uh, the bigger dog. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, getting fired from jobs, just a lot of growing up until I started to deal with deal with the anger inside me. Um, drug overdose. Uh, I drank, uh, when I was 16, I drank a half gallon of Bacardi rum. <gasps> my friends and I, my, my, when my mom divorced my stepdad, this was stepdad number one, from the trailer park, I was moving back from Alaska and he basically said, well, if your son comes to live with you, you know, you guys got to, you can't be here. So she oh. said, all right, see ya. You know? So yeah. she got an apartment up Smoky Point by where her business was. And I moved in with her. So we, my friends and I decided like, this guy's such an asshole. And hearing some of the stories of how abusive he was to my mom, we, we figured we'd break into his trailer and steal all his booze. Right. Like that'll, that'll show him. <laughs> and he was a long haul <laughs> truck driver. So he was gone most of the time. Yeah. So yeah. we, we, you know, it's like, you know, we skip school, we all take a bus down there and we, you know, we steal a box like this full of, you know, that's love, a lot of liquor tequila. Yeah. And I grabbed this thing of Bacardi and this one's mine. Uh, and it took me all day to drink it oh until I passed out. I don't know how far into it I got, but my friend, my friend Tom, who's still my friend today, he, uh, we get to, so I pass out, right? My friends are like, okay, we're just going to take Russ back to his place and, you know, dump him in the driveway. He'll be fine. He'll sleep it off. I'm sure. mm-hmm. So they get to my house and they pour me out onto the, to the road there. And there's a little bit of blood coming out. Oh, of my mouth. Wow. And my friend Tom saw that and he goes, he goes, wait, you know, he's bleeding. Uh, I don't think that's normal throw up self, you know, that's something else. And so he calls, my friend Tom calls Fred. So Fred, he didn't call the ambulance right away, but he calls Fred. So Fred was this kind of older man who was, he was a really good guy. I mean, <laughs> I say Relatively. That, right. So he would buy us kids beer. He was probably, I don't know. He was, he was Fred. Anyway, so Fred, he calls Fred and Fred says, um, here's the deal, Tom, you're going to hang up the phone and you're going to call the police or your friend's going to die. And he says, I'm serious. And Tom's like, I don't know. Come on, Fred. And Fred goes, listen, tell me you're going to do it. Cause if you're not going to do it, I'm going to do it. And Tom said, uh, all right, I'm going to do it. And, and Fred said this too. He goes, he told Tom, he goes, uh, you're going to get in trouble. You know that. And I know that. So you're going to do this, right? You know you're going to get in trouble. He called the ambulance, and, and Tom Tom and the EMTs that showed up on the scene saved my life. And it's funny how they were shitty. They were really mean to Tom, too. It's like, your friend, like this was his fault or something. <laughs> your friend's going to probably die. Like, you guys shouldn't be drinking like this. You know, you're 15, 16. But, yeah, I, I that's an interesting thing. So I... I I died for two and a half minutes on the way to the hospital. Uh, I remember, I don't, I remember waking up in the ambulance and this was, I did, I did uh, EMDR, which is a kind of therapy and it's very subjective uh, yeah. trauma therapy. And we, we kind of visited that scene and 
like I always felt ripped off. I didn't get my near death experience. Like I don't remember most of that day. You know, I don't remember I meeting Jesus. Or, over. Yeah, there, over. Was no, there was no pearly gates or anything like that. <laughs> no light at the end of any tunnels of any kind. Um, but I do remember waking up in the ambulance a few times. And during this EMDR session, which again is very subjective, I remember being up in the corner of the ambulance looking down on my body. Okay, so you had that part. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't really know at first what it was. There's this dude, black guy, young black EMT guy, just boom, boom, boom. And <sighs> and he uh, he just wouldn't give up, man. This guy just wouldn't quit. And he's like pounding on me. And it took me a few, you know, a little, like you know, 30 seconds to realize, oh, fuck, that's me, right? Like, like wow. that's, that, that's me. Yeah. And I'm up here in the corner of the thing. And, uh, and yeah, you know, later on, my mom, I remember my mom did tell me that, that there was this guy who just kept, and my mom was there in the, in the ambulance. too. So, yeah, this guy just would not quit. Like, he did, wouldn't give up. Even at two and a half minutes of flatline, me dead. You know, they, he kept pounding on me, kept pushing and kept doing the CPR. Yeah, my violence to myself. And, I, and yes. I'll call that a, a, a self-violence. And as I really didn't understand what it was. Later in therapy, um, because my mom had asked me this, and I've had people ask me this before. And were you trying to kill yourself, Russ? Right. And And... At first, it was like, no, I was just a stupid kid drinking a bunch of booze, pissed off at his life and his stepfather. But later on, you know, really divulging a lot of that trauma, I realized that that part of me was was so in so much pain that numbing it wasn't enough. Right? Like there was part of me that really wanted to to destroy myself a subconscious part of me. Um, and a lot of the work that I've done, you know, you talk about modern mystics is moving that energy out of my body. So it's no yes. longer living in here. Uh-huh. It still likes to visit. Like it's, yeah. it's kind of out there. Like I see it sometimes. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, the, the movie, um, a beautiful mind. Yes. Um, yeah. A long time ago. Yeah. 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 It's, a, it's an older film, but it, that movie's about a man who's struggling, struggling with schizophrenia and these kind of spirits that are, that are characters in the film. The storytelling is brilliant. But at the end of the film, spoiler alert, uh, at the end of the film, they're still like out there. Like they're still there. They're just yes. out there. Yeah. And I, and I, sometimes they come to kind of, you know, visit and I'm just like, I have tools now to say, you're not in me. You're not part of me anymore. Yes. You don't, you don't get to, you know, tell me what to do or, or even talk to me. Right. Right. That kind of thing. Good so, job. Where'd you get these tools and what are they? Oh, the tools. Um, a lot of it's therapy and some of it is, um, I'll call it mysticism. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm, I'm honored to be on your, your, your program here, your, what you're doing, because I think I've always been a, a bit of a spiritual mystic. I just didn't have language for it. I met a friend, uh, Seth Taylor. He wrote a book. Uh, it's published by Triple X Church. I do a podcast on sexuality and addiction, and 
those kind of topics. Um, and him and I met through that and he always considered himself a Christian mystic. And at first I'm like, I'm like, okay, you know, whatever. Cause I had some experience with, with this kind of California sort of weird spirituality that's very you know dude you know it's just love baby right like everybody yeah. just love each other and everything will be fine you know which is great and it sounds good and it's, but it's just super vague to me like i really frustrated the vagueness of it but i think that's part of mysticism isn't it it's did you say the vagueness of it the f-a-g-x no, oh vague. Vague. <laughs> vague like it's very vague yeah better i like it better okay go ahead <laughs> you know, me too if it were, you know, I don't know, that would be different. I, it would be different. I used to, that was another thing about violence. Like, you talk about gay people. I used to, I used to be really, I, I used to hate gay people. I hurt to say that today, but that was part of my damage. Yeah. So part of being a, a sexual abused kid who didn't say anything about that until I was 38 years old. Yes. Um, yeah, I used to be really angry at gay people for a long time until I was, I got a sales job. I started working in sales and then I met some gay people and I'm like, yeah, the gay people are pretty cool. <laughs> like, what, you know, what, and then you start looking at the statistics on, on molestations, way more heterosexuals are or males are molesting kids than, than uh, homosexuals. So, you know, that didn't add up. And then I had to forgive gay people it's weird i heard a, a sermon from a, a conservative pastor talking about forgiveness <laughs> and that was the day i was kind of dragged to this thing um that's a whole nother story but I'm, but I'm sitting there listening to this guy who i really kind of arms folded like oh yeah this fucking guy right and then he does this sermon a beautiful sermon on forgiveness and i'm like oh wow like i've had a a shitty chip on my shoulder towards gay people Mm-hmm. And I had to let that go. And I uh, know I have you know, gay friends. And so, so where were we? I'm sorry. I go off on tangents. That's, yes. So we, we, we I, I, you kind of answered my uh, gay question about like, how did you, why did you come to that? And why did you come out? So you answered that. And also about uh, violence and a- anger into the world. And you pretty much covered that. Um, yeah. And you started to talk about your, like, how your identity as a mystic. Do you, do yeah. you, you identify with that word? Yeah, yeah, I do. Very much. Um, like, that's the spiritual thing that, that brings me to, to tears. You know, first of all, it was reading the Bible for me um, and different translations of the Bible and reading it for myself and not having a, a pastor, like, spoon feed some Christian, usually bullshit right mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> from their perspective you know um there's just a lot of bad sermons growing up and a lot of anger towards religion my realization of of the anger towards religion is is about that cold-heartedness and i think it's where my anger is today like i feel like i have a more healthy anger today and, and that anger is not necessarily aimed at a person so much but what they believe and let's bring that out into life like as a Christian, I say that a lot and I say it in conservative groups. I'm invited sometimes because I do this work with uh, pornography addiction and sexual mm-hmm. addiction, that kind of thing. So there's still a lot of people who care for people who feel afflicted with that. Yes. And I, I tend to, you know, have a voice there still. 
and my heart for them is that that they would have a more of a, a care for themselves and each other to bring that out in the light. Let's bring it out in the light. Uh, that's in the Bible too, by the way. The Apostle Paul, right? Like, I will put my flaws in the light. Like, if you're going to, you know, I'm going to live my truth, and if you're going to shit on me for it, so be it. Like, I will rejoice in that even, right? I'm paraphrasing. Yes. Um, but... I really, I'm a flaws in the light kind of guy when it comes to my spirituality. But, and I still, those are my, my friend, Paul Young, who's uh, been a repeat guest on the show. But William Paul Young, we're with the shack. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, great guy. But that's something that he says a lot. And he's given me, he's helped me in this area because there's a lot of times, Wendy, where I'm just like, ah, I can't take it anymore. Like, will you, you know, stop faking? Will you stop faking? Like, it's so yes. frustrating. It is doing these long sermons and these, you know, going on these long, you know, let's, let's go Florida and we'll do a retreat or we'll do a, you know, a conference. Just, you know, uh, but, but one of the things he will say is those are my people, right? Right. Like those are your people. I know I know some of your story too. Like those are our people, Wendy. Those are people. We, it's loving them where they're at. That's 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 where I'm trying to learn and grow yeah. my spirituality today. Loving the person where they're at, not seeing past them, like seeing their body as a not a not not just a projection, but a something that believes and feels and just beyond the covering or the fig leaves that we wear, is is the person's heart. Yeah. And I, and I, it's funny how I can preach that, but it, I'm still really working it to, to mm-hmm. be more present and less angry when I see injustice towards gay people, especially in the church right now. And oh my God, the way that um, LGBT people are still looked at as, you know, we love you, you know, we, we do, but don't, you can't, you know, run a community group in our church and they don't find that out right away. Right. They first are welcomed in and they feel like they belong. And then all of a sudden this kind of subtle, you know, devaluing of them as a person. And then they'll say, they'll say things like, well, it's biblical. Well, you know, so is divorce. Like you want to talk about biblical, what did Jesus say about divorce? Right. Like if you, (laughs) and I think Jesus did stuff like this, like Matthew five is just, Oh yeah. You think, you think murder you think is so what great. I meant by yeah. that? It's like, you know, it's saying F you in traffic. Like, it's it's, it's sin, like the, this shallow definition of sin. Just, you know, those are, those are the things I'm working on. <laughs> like how, you, how people define sin, the language around sin is so, uh, it frustrates me. Like, we'll let gay, we'll let divorced people all day long run groups and ministries and stuff like that. But, you know, you and your your same-sex spouse here in here in the seattle area in the seattle area wendy ryan meeks has a staff member that says and he's had her on staff he knows her knows her family right this is someone he's had a relationship with for years she comes out and she says i'm marrying a woman and i get it if you want to fire me or she's involved in the church she's involved in staff and he's like no like no I love you and I'm going to keep you and your, your, your homosexuality. It doesn't like, that's the, who cares? Like, why is that such a big deal? 
And then he announces that to the church. And he loses, in the Seattle area, three quarters of or more of his congregants. I mean, this is still a very weird, sticky social phobia. It's just... Scapegoating. Yeah. Scapegoating prejudice. It's mm-hmm. prejudice. And it's, and it's a... So, it's a kind of a, a, a subtle prejudice, right? Like we're not going to tell you right away. Yeah. Just, yeah. just you try and be as equal as your heterosexual. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's that's really hard for someone like me who's been through what I've been through to see people like that treated like that. You know. Right. And, and if you're going to invite me on your podcast to talk about sexuality, we're going to talk about that. Um, well, that's why I don't get invited on many. Um, <laughs> I see. Yes, because you you are certainly uh, you say what you think. It's awesome. Um, I do need to say though, like um, things in my lifetime have changed so much. Even in, it's in the church. Like when I was in college, there was like one specifically queer church I could go to. Um, and then, and then some of the mainline denominations had like these sidecars, integrity in, in the Episcopal church and dignity in the Catholic church, etc. There was places to go, but it wasn't, you know, it was on the sidecar. Right. And then, it's over there. Yeah. It's yeah. And then, um, but, oh my gosh, like now there's a lot of churches that are really open and they have queer leadership and stuff, but then. There's, and then the one, there's the other ones, there's ones way over here that you just clear, like you're not welcome and that's great, right? Whatever. Right. They're gonna change or die. And then there's one in the middle that are like, they're working it out and it's so messy. Yeah. And it's so halfway measure and it's so don't ask, don't tell. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but I have to I just have to say in such gratefulness in my lifetime, it's, it's night and day. So that's the good part. Yeah, it is. Yeah, we want it to be perfect, but. Yeah. And hopefully we'll, you know, evolve in the way we do intimacy. And that's something I talk about a lot. Some of my work, excuse me, I'm getting all snotty over here. Dusty basement. (laughs) This is my studio, by the way. It's awesome. Uh, It's just so interesting looking. Yeah, I got all my my stuff going on. I had to show you this too, by the way, speaking of uh, intimacy. I don't know if you can see. There's a picture. It's right above that light. There's a tent. Yeah. There's a picture of me as a kid. Okay. A kid. Early in this, in, in my healing, um, speaking of church sidecars, I, I, a lot of my spiritual uh, development was in the basement of churches <laughs> in 12-step groups, you know, <laughs> dealing with my drug and alcohol stuff. Um, but when my wife and I were young, newlyweds, you know, uh, I would not allow her to put pictures up of me as a kid mm. in the house. Like she would hang pictures on the wall of me as a kid and I didn't like them. And it was weird that I didn't know why at the time. Oh, yeah. So now I hang that like five or something like that in the corner. Mm. And a big part of it was because I blamed, I blamed me. I blamed childhood me for not saying something. Yes. And fucking us up so badly, right? Yes. Like, why didn't you just report right. all the all the women? Like, I really identify with the Me Too movement and women who talk about did did not report. I did not report. Right. 
I didn't say nothing until I was 38 years old. Right. So, so yeah, I had to forgive that part of me too. You know, um, there's, there's just so much complexity, but getting into what you were just saying about the, the evolving of, of maybe consciousness in the church. Yeah. I think that part of that, that's my affliction, right? Me, me hating on childhood rust. That's a big part of my, my affliction. And that's the one good definite, the only definition of, of religion in the new Testament is being, you know, in there with widows and orphans in their affliction. Yeah. Um, and the philosophy of affliction is interesting. Peter Rollins is another guy, I guess we had on, on punk theology and other podcasts I do. Uh, he talked recently about the philosopher Lacan said that the word symptom um, is, is a French word. Like it comes from the French and it actually means if you break that word down, it means symptom. It means holy man. Right. So the word symptom is related to holy man. And then you go into the scriptures and you look at Jesus and he's saying, you know, he tells all the, the disciples are like, how do we be varsity in the kingdom of God? Like, how do we be awesome? You know, did you, when I was in prison, did you come visit me? Mm-hmm. When I was hungry, did you feed me? Mm-hmm. Peter Rollins gets a lot of shit too because supernatural stuff, like he'll say, he'll yeah. say things like, uh, he'll say, I don't, I don't, um, I deny the resurrection. Peter yeah. Rollins will and then, then, you know, that, that instantly gives a reaction, right? right. Um, but then he says, I deny the react, deny the resurrection every time I see some a poor person. No, I'm not helping. That's when I deny the resurrection. When I don't see the symptom, I don't see Christ. You know, I think that's really beautiful language. And that's a big part of maybe what we're starting to see is that there's a separation between what is actually Christian. I kind of want to take that word back, Wendy. That word's yes. been yes. drugged yes. through the blood. Yeah. Right? I start to say completed Christian lately. Yeah. What, what does it mean to be the hands and feet of Christ? Because the hands and feet of Christ are not sitting there pointing out, you know, I'm glad I'm not that guy, right? Like that's in the Bible too. Lord, thank you that I'm not that guy. You know, we, we do that a lot. I Sometimes still, you know, I'm catching myself, right? Trying to grow as a person myself. Try and see sides. Our friend Jim Henderson has been really helpful with that. He's doing these great practice yeah. moves. And those are, yeah. those are like, like he calls them, what, CrossFit for civility? <laughs> Staying in the room with difference? So, so really important. Does. Oh, it feels like, sometimes it feels like, Wendy, I'll tell you what. I'm just like, like you feel the trigger rise up. And then you're like, okay, yeah. I'd be curious to know. You know, that's how you react right. with your ideological opponent. Like if we could get to that, right. because I'd be curious to know where the symptom is, right? Where yes, the whole yes. man is, where, where are we, you know, where, where are we weeding out the word progressive? That's where progressives like to be, right? Like where can I be more progressive in, in finding that stuff out, understanding yeah. where we are yeah. in the symptom yeah. of, Geez, the crazy social unrest we're experiencing at this point in history. It's really incredible. It's I've been seeing it like I've been seeing it way before this explosion that we're having. But I really truly believe we're in such a growth a growth period. We're in such a leap 
um, we're going from junior high to high school or something, you know, it's like a big shift that we're all going through together and we're getting a little time out to do it. And we're getting a little, you know, kick in the ass to do it. And I mean, that's how I've been seeing it for a while. And it's horrible. And it's horrible to say, yes, there's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of death. There's a lot of injustice. Like none of that is okay, but it is a symptom of this um, consciousness. And I get encouraged. Like I talk to my niece who's going to be 16, you know, and how like they're, she's just so past her and her friends. They're so past all this. They're yeah. so past it. Like this, all the race and all the queerness and all the, I, you know, us and them, it's not even occurring. And they're so past it that they're, they're like constantly joking about it. Right. Cause it's, they're getting thrown all these pictures all the time and they're, they're just like, this is ridiculous. So they really are enjoy, enjoying the poking the old people with their, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with their, we don't care about these pictures you have. Yeah. The Gen Z, maybe the Gen Z will save us from ourselves, right? That's, that is encouraging. There's another show that I've gotten into that's really popular with a lot of the, the Gen Z kids is, uh, is Rick and Morty. I don't know if you've seen that. It's a cartoon, yeah. not a boat swim. But it's sort of like, it's, it's every, every episode has a consciousness die. And it's, it's, a, it's a comedy, so it's funny. And Rick and Morty was based on um, something from our generation, which was uh, Back to the Future, right? Uh-huh. You had Doc and Marty, right? And that relationship with a crazy, older, you know, scientist mind guy. Right. And, and young Marty or Morty in the show. Um, and, and every episode starts with, you think you know what's going on. And then all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> Morty isn't Morty. He's a robot. And he was sent or he's a, he's a projection from an alternate reality, right? Oh, that's awesome. The whole story, you have to go deeper into what you just thought on the surface. And it reminds me of what you just said about Gen Z. Like, because they grew up in it. Right? Like they kind of grew up in it and they, they're seeing all this. Well, you just see black and white all the time. Yeah. And so I, they know and I know that like those old churches that won't change and those old ideas that won't change, they're dying out. So I, like I know it's changing. It's going to be faster or slower. Mm-hmm. But boy, have we been put on, a, from my perspective, we've been put on like speed this year. Yeah, from the pandemic to Black Lives Matter and people getting fed up with authorities not being safe, you know, being afraid of the authorities. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, hopefully the you're right. It's like consciousness. Fast forward. Let's hit. Let's speed this up. Maybe is what's going on. That's my perspective, but it's yeah. not the only one. And it doesn't, you know, I, I can't um, nullify all the suffering that's going on. I am a, I like to call myself a uh, realistic optimist. <laughs> so, you know, like I'm not, I'm not a super positive thinker, you know, there's a lot of positive thinking that I think is sort of shallow and it's like holding back a sneeze, right? Yes. <laughs> like we have Let's to Let's you know, pretend. pretend it's all ice cream and unicorns. Like that would be awesome. Um, but, but it isn't, you know, but I think that, yeah, that's my, my take on being a, a even a progressive, right. Um, a, an optimist that's realistic. 
I have to let myself be educated and know both sides of the story. Um, Henry Rollins, speaking of punk rock, a guy, the Black Flag lead singer, he's older now. He does these uh, comedy shows and talking stuff. And, and one of the, he said something that really resonated with me about cynicism. Cynicism, it's easy to be cynical. And he grew up a lot like I did. Like I knew, I saw death. Yeah, we left that part out of my story. I became a drug dealer, you know, being told that you're bad and realizing, feeling like you're bad. Like I'm, I am bad. Yeah. Like it's not just, it's not just, I do bad. No, I'm fucking bad. So yes. why not drop out of school at 17 and become a drug dealer, which I did for, right. for a good percentage of time. And I, you know, people died, people went missing. I didn't carry a gun during that time because everybody I knew that did either went to jail for a very long time or they just all of a sudden were gone and no one saw them anymore. We didn't talk about that. Um, so you can grow, you see this. I've been roughed up by the police myself. I've seen drugs planted. This is, this is something that can make someone very cynical. Yeah. And, and, but cynicism is laziness. It's intellectual laziness. It's me sitting on a throne of superiority, looking down on everyone else and going, you need to get right and be more like me, like, right. And that's just, that's just like the religious person at the church. Right? That's just like that, that jerk with the hat and the robe and all the, you know, pageantry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to learn that. And, and he was a big help in that, that cynicism is something I can no longer afford. And so listening to both sides of the story is hard man, you know, I'd rather, there's a part of me that's really shallow <laughs> that the, you know, the pessimist in me would rather just sit over here and go, yeah, I don't want to listen. It's hard. I got to be like, I care about people, right? Because when you care about people, then you got to sit with them and you got to listen to both sides of the story and hear it from their perspective and maybe even grow a little bit yourself. And some of the times that I've had to do that in my life, I'm like, oh shit, like I'm wrong. Hate that. You know, um, LGBTQ is a big one. Sitting in 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 rooms with uh, queer people that were addicted to drugs and stuff. You know? Yeah. And then realizing that, oh my God, like you're just you're like me, and you feel the same stuff I do. You know, I was never same sex attracted, even though I was abused by someone of the same sex. Mm-hmm. It, it makes a lot of sense. You know, all the stuff that psychologists are saying about. Um, like I'm getting a little emotional because it's so it's it's so true that it, it was so hard for me to to let that thing go because it felt like superiority. It felt like I was strong, hating or shitting on gay people until I actually became friends with someone. Mm-hmm. And so cynicism, yeah, man, cynicism is a is just it's just lazy, um, shallow yeah. energy that I can't I can't afford it. I could just, it's not good for me. Yeah. yeah. It's what causes my depression and anxiety when it sits in me and I stew on it and I think about it and I, no, I got to get out and talk to people like yourself. (laughs) Wendy, it makes me, (laughs) (laughs) you you know, doing stuff like this helps me. um, Yeah. Interacting with other people and being in conversations with people. I'm yeah. extroverted introvert. I like being by myself, being alone. Mm-hmm. Sometimes mm-hmm. that cynicism crawls in there and. Yeah. Yeah. So you're so charismatic and you're so 
uh, well-spoken and you're so interesting. You have such great stories. Like, thank you. You, so you a lot of you, coffee this morning. So there's that. It's just, <laughs> it's how I've always known you though. And you're always so forthright. Oh my gosh. The first time I met you, I come, I, I was just like, wow. Like, right. I like, I, I'd seen your face for five minutes and I knew all your like big, heavy stuff. Right. You're just like, boo. Um, yeah. to the whole group and I'm like oh wow that's really forthright that's amazing I went to a lot of bible studies um Mars Hill when Mars Hill was a church that was a whole nother thing right spiritual authority and all that but there was it was you know it was progressive for the time <laughs> but that was a big way that I blew out a lot of bible studies like you know Hey, go to a community group and interact with other people, you know, so I'm starting to do that work, right? Being in the room with other people who I most likely disagree with, you know, going to Mars Hill and, and I would just be that in that group. And you'd be surprising how many, how many people um, got really uncomfortable and how many people didn't, how many people found it as a breath of fresh air. And I was sort of the Russ said the F word in Bible study. <laughs> like we can talk like, like we like, do at home like we do at home or we do at work you know <laughs> and as a as a christian like that's another hard part of me is being a christian friend is because i'm going to be the same guy as i am at work i got hired as a mechanic when this whole thing is over so that'll be interesting oh so wow mechanic russ um at work at church you know at home i'm, I'm going to be kind of the same guy and that, that may be hard for people who are used to wearing different hats, you know? Yes, but I feel like it's such a, well, certainly it's a healing for you, but it's a healing for everybody else. And also it's such good modeling to just be real. Like I'm into reality and being real. Like I, I'm, I'm really, like people tell me all the time that I'm uh, one of those high in the sky people. But um, what I intend to do is look at the physical and spiritual reality, which are not the same. And, you know, relate to those. And so you are, I'm always seeing you do this. It's really awesome. I'm trying to wear different hats to be more conscious of, of my environment. You know, I was invited on a Christian radio show. geez, like 10 years ago now. Um, talking about some of the work I do in the podcast. And, about, and I remember praying <laughs> don't speak swear words, right? Because you can't say swear words on the radio. And I'm I'm passionate, you know, when I get passionate those words. Yes. I'm sitting there like I have a YouTube channel too and, and, and it's monetized, so I, I I clip my swear words. Like I can edit that stuff out. Um, yes. Yeah, sometimes like there's I want to relate to people, Wendy. Like Paul Young, like Paul Young can Paul Young gets invited to all sorts of stuff that that blows my mind, you know, like he'll go to Catholic churches and, and Episcopal churches and, and he'll speak. Well, his, his way of being is very different than yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and his story, he has so many matching pictures with his story. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but you have a different audience, I think. Yeah, I've been told that too. Um, I had a guest early on the show, Justin Holcomb, who's actually a Episcopal priest, I believe, somewhere over there in the Midwest now. But he worked at Mars Hill for a little while. And he, was a, he was a guest on the show. He goes, it's cool that you're here doing this interview with me. And he goes, he gave me a couple of things that we couldn't talk about because it was Mars Hill. And they go, 
I didn't even know what was going on behind the scenes, but we can't talk right. about this. We can't talk about that. And I, go, and I wasn't going to talk about that. I don't know what that is. Um, <laughs> but then he said this. He goes, he goes, it's really interesting that you do this podcast here and no one has shunned you or asked you to step away. And he says, he didn't use the word shun, but he said, uh, he goes, he goes, there's a lot of people that are really concerned about you interviewing people like me here at Mars Hill. And he goes, I think that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he said that too he goes he goes you it's not he didn't just say you do you buddy but he said uh some people aren't going to be ready for that like some of your language um i think i used metallica's uh unforgiven as the bumper music to introducing justin holcomb right it's like some people are gonna have a hard time with that um he goes you're gonna play that was another thing too because he's just he's a he's a pastor like he's gone to seminary like he's a He's written books and stuff, right? And he goes, and he sits me down. And he goes, "Are you really going to use a uh, Metallica's Unforgiven to, to bump this this show, this interview?" And I go, "I go, yeah, dude." And he goes, "That's awesome. Oh, that's great." <laughs> so he kind of caught me off guard there, right? Um, but but he did say that that was really encouraging. That he said, um, "Not everyone's going to be ready." Just read that stuff. Yeah. But I still have the heart, you know, to to like Paul Young does to be able to walk into some of those environments. And you're right, maybe they're just not my audience. Right, and if they want you, and my perspective is that you're speaking to, you're speaking what a lot of people want to say and aren't, or yeah. where a lot of people are, but don't want to own it. And uh, I think you're ahead of the curve on this, if anything. Yeah, I'm ahead of the curve, but I'm behind, <laughs> I'm behind the uh, stamp of approval, right? Like when they did that for meat, Back in the day, you know, you got the yeah. stamp of approval. They would stamp the meat to make sure it was. I, I do no longer have the stamp of approval from the evangelical world. Like Triple yeah. X Church still kind of does. Craig Gross stepped away from Triple X Church and kind of doing his own thing. Triple X Church is still seen by most of evangelical culture as a uh, you know an acceptable thing. Um, I am not, which is okay. And I can't, I can't fake it, Wendy. And I can't let things like, you know, this subtle prejudice towards LGBT people and in Christian community. I can't let, it's not that I can't let it go. Um, it's that I want to have conversations about it. And a lot of people don't. And maybe it's my energy about how I have conversations about it. <laughs> that's triggering some folks in leadership yeah. in that area. But I, I hopefully we're seeing leadership, as you say, evolve. And it seems to me that um, you haven't been my favorite Christian uh, teacher, Dr. Bruce Morgan. He used to say the church makes cookie cutter Christians. Mm. And if they have to, they'll cut off your arms and legs to make you fit. Mm. And that is a, and it's kind of saccharine and it's kind of not real. Right. And you're just like, you do you have not succumbed to that culture you watch the culture you see the culture you love the culture you're not the culture you love the people in the culture but you are you're not that culture that's not who you are yeah um and you haven't let them cut off your arms and legs that's some of that again that's some of that philosophy of symptom right in the world but not of the world definition of worship is like the music at church wasn't worship great today Worship is, and it is again, this is even in the Bible. It's, it's your life pouring out. He says, my, 
as Paul says, I'm, I'm, I'm an offering. Like I'm pouring out onto this. That is worship. That is my life. That is what we do every single day. Yes. Is just pouring out of who you are and what you're about and, and doing that away in a way that you're, you're, you're spilling out or divulging the symptom. I'm divulging it in myself. I've been a horrible person in my life and I'm willing to talk about that and admit that and how to heal from that. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Cause it's the people that don't heal from it. that are just the self-righteous jerk. Right. That sit up there. and right. Yeah. Like right. my facade, pay no attention to the inside. Yeah. So what, my, what, from my perspective, I mean, I'm looking at you and the, Christian culture is just as much worldly as any other culture. It's all the world. And this is the part that is not understood, I think. Yeah, the divorce rate. And what's really interesting is some of the research that has been coming out about pornography. Is, and what's, what's really interesting, I laugh. It's kind of sad, but I laugh because, I, because it makes total sense. Um, Pornhub, which is the largest, uh, uh, the largest porn website in the world, and they've been releasing data, which is really interesting. A lot of this has been reports like uh, schools are doing papers. Some of the, the data that Pornhub is divulging to the public. And a big part of that is like more shame. So a lot of religious cultures have way more porn use than secular culture, right? You would think it'd be the opposite because right. we're supposed to be the holy people. We're supposed right. to see sex as like, but psychologically, the more shame um, you experience, the the farther deeper that goes. Like I need to take this thing I feel bad about and push it, push it down so no one sees it. So, the fact that we can't talk about that, again, that's part of the symptom. Pornography use and, and you know, and I'm not going to say pornography is all bad. Like, I'm not that guy either. Even I do a podcast for sex addicts, and I've, I've changed through the progression of that podcast. But today, yeah. is there such a thing as what Nadia Boltz-Weber said in one of her books, Shameless, she talked about uh, pornography that's not... Uh, you're created by some sleazy dude in a van, right? Or right. some evil corporation that's, you know, taking advantage of sex trafficking. And like, there's yes. people that do porn in their bedroom and there's just a couple and they're doing, uh, um, you know, is that good or bad? It's not that it's, again, we're getting in this definition of sin, right? Like it's not that it's good or bad. Like what is it doing to you? Um, consuming it what, what is it doing to culture as we become more living our lives through a screen all the way down to our our bodies because i think sex is so spiritual it really is like it's not just it's breathing it's meditation um if you i think that the masturbation i think that compulsive sexual behavior especially masturbation for a lot of men um, this is, uh, this is the body and a lot of Gen Zers I'm talking to a lot of Gen Zers like this is a big one. It's the body going, I need a break, man. Like I'm on, up here all the time. I'm in my head. I'm on social media. I'm doing all these different things. My mind is so full. There's one, uh, 
sex therapist who said that if you're in your head, you're dead, right? So if you're engaged with your partner or you're masturbating, if you're thinking about, you know, your mortgage <laughs> next week while you're doing that, you're not going to, you're not going to climax. You're just not, it's not going to happen. So, and that's natural. Like it's, a, it's a natural way of our body just shutting all of this down so that we can climax and have an organ. And, and it'll even throw little breadcrumbs out there. You know, a lot of guys feel so much shame for seeing a, a beautiful woman in a, in a dress walking down the street or, you know, and then you see like, other religious cultures where they put their women in a full tent, right? Right. Just, right. Um, because that's the goal you're going to, you know, you're going to tempt the man and that we can't No, Like what is your body want? And we, we can start listening to our bodies. And I'm also like, this is me too. I'm trying to, I'm struggling with this living my life through a screen as well. I mean, it's beautiful that we have this technology but yeah. when I can become addicted to it really quickly, right? Like I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, I'm on <laughs> my life through my phone, especially when yes. it rains a lot around here. It's like freaking raining. And yesterday I was on screens just all day long. Yeah. It, was, it was taxing. And I can feel that now as a mystic, using that mm -hmm. word, I can feel it in my body when my, my head is just way too full and I need to just breathe, go for a walk, um, yeah, enjoying sex with my wife the other morning, like stuff like this. This is, and I, and I can enjoy that now. And I can breathe even in the sexual experience where, you know, a lot of my, my compulsive sexual behaviors, but, you know, you can watch your breath in that. And it's just very mm -hmm. tight. It's very, like your, your body yes, is so, yes. you're stressed out and your, your head is like, oh, we got, we got a break for a little while, guys. You know, <laughs> hey, everybody regroup up here. He's, he's down here for a while, right? And if there's, so much, there's so much resistance to it, like what resist persists, right? If, if I can't have it, it's 10 times better. Yeah, and then I have to like pretend that I don't, I'm not going to do it. And then I get to do it again and it's 10 times better. So it's yeah, like there's all this charge that isn't natural to the what's going on. It's repression, right? Yeah. And the repression, yeah, that's some of the thinking around it. And I've had guys say that. Well, if I, if I, you know, jerk off the night before a date, maybe I'll be better in bed. It's like you know, they, you're just you're numb, kind of. You know, you're not. I don't know if you're better. You want her to come. That's what guys will do, right? They'll say things because I want to last long. See, the, it, it's it's less about getting to the the real symptom, which is, you know, underneath the intimacy of the sexual experience, and it's getting to the mechanics of it. Well, I want to make sure she has an orgasm. Well, that's a lot more complexities in that than just you performing for longer than ten minutes. You know. Right. Um, there's, there's a, there's an ocean of, of things going on under the surface. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there's another, fr uh, a friend of mine was talking about this and he's a single guy and kind of living his life. And, and at some point, it wasn't even me that said it, it was a friend of mine. We were in a group of guys and, and we go, aren't you just using another person's body to masturbate? <laughs> like he was, he was kind of talking about his sexual, you know, like, I just, you know, I gotta be with this chick and I'll be with this chick over here, you know? It was like, yeah, just living my life, you know? I'm, uh, 
Polly, Polly's a big one. But back in the 80s, we, we called it friends that fuck, right? Like we, had, we didn't have really a cool scientific, you know, sociological term for it. It was just, well, friends that fuck. It's what we right. um, but now it's your Polly. Uh, but, but, oh, that's kind <laughs> There's more to Polly than that, but go ahead. Right, there is more to Polly. Than <laughs> but, you know, that's kind of where I was at, was like, it was, and it wasn't that he was having relationships or any kind of deep sexual experience with these people. Right. You know, you get what I'm saying. Like, he's just kind of bragging about these shallow, I flew into this city, banged this chick or whatever. We're, we're, are, we, are we in our bodies? And if we are in our bodies, and we can love our bodies and care for our bodies as part of our spirit and our soul and our being, um, there's just a lot less depression, a lot less anxiety. I'm not here to shit on everyone and say, you shouldn't be poly or you shouldn't have friends with the fuck or whatever you do in your bedroom. Like, you know, like I'm not the fucking Pope. <laughs> Wendy, right? like I'm, I'm, not, I'm not running around with a, you know. But I feel like you keep touching on something that's so important from my perspective, which uh, is um, I feel like all the things can, it, it's not the things themselves that are good or bad whether it's masturbation or sex with someone else or food or, you know, food or alcohol or like whatever it's, am I using it to get more into the body, more with what is more enjoying life, or am I using it to get out of the body, out of what is out? Right. And the same thing can be used. Netflix or anything can be used to do, one or the other. And it's a, it's a matter of what are we doing with this thing that makes it addiction as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. Yeah. It makes us check. Are we checking out? Are we checking in? Yeah. In the world of the world, right? right. Into that. Right. In, this, it, in this body is something else. Yeah. Actually here with actually what it is and actually connected to actual life, which is so freaking awesome. I mean, even masturbation, it can be like, Am I checking in with the body and really, um, really feeling it, or am I in some yeah. fantasy off and you know off in nowhere? And it's not. I'm just getting more farther even from myself, farther yeah. from what's going on. Or am I getting closer to what's going on and actually yeah. checking in? Yeah. I feel like that's a really important distinction. Yeah, me too. And masturbation isn't isn't bad. You're you're absolutely right. Or isn't you know sinful. Right. Again, addictive. That's I think that the addictive part is when you're not in your body. There's a, a woman that I really enjoy. She went to Stanford. She's a sex therapist. Uh, Leela Martin, familiar. But she does YouTube videos, and she talks about um, uh, masturbation for women as a form of meditation. Yeah. And, and some of that stuff is really beautiful. Like when you can accept your body. And and women, I think, are shamed a lot more than men are in that area. And there's just so, you ladies carry so much shame in that area. And being able to explore your own body and be in your body. And, and yeah. again, this is not something that you're doing through a screen, right? Like this is something that's in your body. That's what she said, right? I mean, she's a progressive, but I mean, she lived in India and studied, you know, uh, under gurus and all this stuff, just sex, right? right? And, yeah. And, and yeah. Like, she's not some conservative woman talking about pornography bad. But what she did say is what, when it's, when it's out there, you know, you're, you're disconnecting a piece of your body to that, to a thing, you know, yeah. a relationship with the technology is, is interesting part of the conversation, but you, mm-hmm. uh, you touched on, on something about, you know, I'll go back to repression, you know, sexual repression. 
is something that I, I was criticized for talking about that. I got an email about it, but it was good that when people write me emails, that's great. Cause I, I want to know what's offending you. Um, yeah. if you're, yeah. Or if you're, or if you're, well, I don't know if you should be saying, teaching that Russ, you know, you're telling your uh, sex addicted Christian audience that they shouldn't be sexually repressed. <laughs> is that a good idea, Russ? It like, is the best idea, <laughs> but people don't know it. Yeah, I, well, I say it depends on what you, you how you define repressed. Right? When you were talking about alcohol, here's something that I learned really early on. I was 16 years old, I was sent to rehab. So after I drank myself to death, um, the state said, you broke into your stepfather's house. He was gracious, by the way, which was interesting. He said, I'm not pressing charges. Like Russ had a stomach pump three times, spent a week in the hospital. It's, it's a miracle he's even alive. <laughs> you know, I basically burned out my stomach line. So for oh, a year, I was I had an ulcer for like a year. I had to be on special medication. I didn't eat solid food for right away because I had burned out yeah, the inside of my stomach. But so anyway, he goes, I'm not pressing charges. So the state says, you can either go to rehab or jail, juvenile jail at the time and I well I'll take rehab right like I outpatient rehab that but one of the things I learned there was this idea that alcohol is a disease and that you're an addict and you can never touch alcohol again because it has some kind of power over you or if you you know it's it's going to take you over and destroy your life and that's something that excuse me it didn't sit well with me it just didn't you know um, not that I love alcohol. I did stop drinking hard alcohol after that for a, for a time until I got older and started to respect how hard alcohol whiskey is made. Like it's a, it's a whole artistry. Um, but the, the idea that I'm an addict and, and if I touch that substance, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go off the deep end. There's bullshit. I call it bullshit. And I don't think it's healthy to, to identify like, you're an addict for the rest of your life. Like, what does that mean? Um, and there's a lot of that in recovery language. And I know I, I've been, I, I piss a lot of people off in that world when I say that, but, it, I, and I don't, you know, I don't smoke weed anymore, Wendy. And that's not because I think that weed is going to take me over. Like it's got some kind of big muscles. It's going to drag me off into hell or whatever. <laughs> I just don't do it anymore because I'm not the best version of myself when I'm high on pot. And that's why I don't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I still drink today. Mm-hmm. And it, it, and I have to realize also, yeah, like I, I need to know when my boundaries with my relationship I, with that substance. I call these my chemical romances, by the way. Mm. There's a punk band called My Chemical Romance. It's <laughs> a great band. name. But it's it is a great name great. because these these were my romances. It's not that alcohol was this substance that I had to abstain from because it had this power over me. It's because um, my romance with weed, like I don't see Mary Jane anymore. I just don't. We just, you know, we broke up. Right. <laughs> Mary Jane and I. You matured out of that. Yeah, I matured out of that. I just don't, I don't, you know. I mean, I, I'm not against trying it someday. I just don't want to. There's nothing in me that wants to, so why do it? It just demotivated the shit out of me. It's basically the biggest part yeah. of how it affects me. Different strains of it and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Wow. But that's that's a big part of um, what you brought up that that idea of you know scapegoating a substance repression you need to repress another quick story 
a pastor friend of mine goes hiking with six other pastors and they decide to do, you know, cause they would meet in a restaurant or something and Hey, it's a nice day. Let's all go for a hike. And so they go for this hike at Mirror Lake over here at Pilchuck, beautiful um, place if you've never been. Uh, but the, what, they get up there and it's cold. So there's still snow on the ground and stuff. And one of the pastors opens up his, his uh, backpack and he's got a six pack of beer and he puts it down in the icy, you know, snow. And this other pastor there, he goes, Oh man, I can't, I can't, I, you know, I was part of the program, you know, I'm 12 step. Like I can't, I can't drink that beer. He had six guys, six beers, one for each pastor. Um, and so they started to kind of push on that as his friends. And you have to realize these guys are all friends, right? Like this isn't, right. you know, he got invited to this thing. <laughs> so he's, his, his friends say, Hey, you, you might be, you might be believing a lie there, buddy. Right? Like what if you did drink a beer? Would your life go off? Do you really think drinking one beer is going to throw your life off into this horrible dark trajectory? Like you're going to sin against God and God's going to, I'm done with you. You're going to this, do this now. And so he had a beer that, and the man still drinks every so often. I was out of wine with dinner and he's not gone off the deep end. Like, like, and that's the, and that's the thing that, that is, it diminishes the integrity of 12 step when people say things like, and it's in the big book. I know it's in the big book. Russ. Like, chapter and verse, Wendy, I've been quoted and sent emails and stuff. You know, I know. Right here. It's like, listen, yeah, but it, it seems to help some beginners. It seems to help to get black and white about it. Yeah. And not get into the gray and the slippery slope. I don't know if you know, but I work a lot with people with addiction. And um, what I've noticed is that some people outgrow those concepts. Yeah. Right? And I work with them to overcome the programming. And for them, they it's about like the essence of addiction, as far as I'm concerned, it's all about soul sickness. It's not about the, which, you know, we take, what I notice is that a lot of people in the 12 steps, they stop doing X and they start doing Y because you have to deal with the pain. Yeah. Like, right. Yeah. If you don't deal with the pain, addiction will not go away. We just, just rearrange the deck chairs. Yeah. Um, so in the pain, et cetera, what I call, you know, the, the pain and the shame, et cetera. Yeah. So if we deal with the pain and the shame, et cetera, and take that off the, off the table. Like for me, I just used to call myself an easy addictor. I could addict to anything I hated. I could addict to because like I needed it. And then I started to deal with the pain and the shame and like all that stuff. It's just not a thing anymore. Like I don't, I don't want these things anymore. Um, and there are some people that have chemistry, body chemistry that react to some things and it's, it's okay. Like, but like not for everybody, but the real issue is the, is the soul issue. Yeah, absolutely. And from there, you know, a few people, maybe they won't ever be able to have it. That's fine. But most people are really fine. And then there's yeah, some hard drugs that are kind of scary that are so easily chemically addictive you know, so there's that, but yeah. That's those uh, relationships too. You know, I put them in like relationship perspective, like my, my relationship with cocaine and methamphetamine. Right. Yeah. I was involved in that world in the eighties when meth was kind of new, you know, cocaine was, everybody you know, loved cocaine in the eighties. Eighties was, is the drug of choice, right? You were cool. You had some Coke, 
that I, I don't, I, I can't, I was on ADHD medication. Um, and I was like, no, I know this, this visitor over here. Ah, it was too and, similar. Uh, yeah, it was very similar. Adderall. Uh, Adderall reminded me of being on, and I, and I lost a lot of weight. I was on it for a few months, about three months. But then I started to realize, again, the way the pain and the shame was interacting with that, hell, I'll even call it an entity. Right? Oh, yeah. That spirit, you know, of the thing that was introducing itself to me going, hey, you know, it's, it's a pill now. You don't have to sniff it <laughs> or smoke yeah. it. So I, I, I haven't been on it since. So yeah, that's a yeah, but yeah, that's a it's a good distinction, is knowing your your chemical romances and knowing when. That's the good thing about sponsorship and having a sponsor, or you know, a good a better word for that is a friend, <laughs> right? A friend, a no bullshit friend. I think everyone needs a no bullshit friend, like who's who's gonna kind of get in your face a little bit. Like everyone needs that kind of buddy in their life. Totally. Really, really rust, you know, you're gonna go, you're gonna go visit that again. Um, so, it's, uh, but it's for, for a lot of us, a sponsor in AA is the first relationship that you have with a no bullshit, a friend that can love you. And you said you were gonna break up with this thing or that person or, or whatever. And now you're, what, what's up with that? Let's talk about that. Right. Yeah, those relationships, getting outside ourselves and this whole spiritual, um, social thing is so interesting. This will conclude part one of Wendy's conversation with Russ Shaw. Suppose we come back to you in, uh, in, uh... Shut up! Hey, help a punk rock robot out. Scratch my itch by hitting that subscribe button. Like to join us in having more ears hear this punk sound? Please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio or wherever you hear this fucking podcast. Punk Theology is the property of Digital Audio Project who is responsible for its content. Don't kick it out! This disc contains CD-ROM data and is not for audio use. Please press stop on your disc player now.